Genesis chapter 3. We want to look at Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4, the beginning of sin. We established last week that the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. The Hebrew word for Genesis means beginnings. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we witness uh, the beginning of God's creation. We're told that he created the heavens and the earth. And we know that the heavens consist of uh, three positions, the atmosphere, the universe, and finally the dominion of God, where God's abode is. And we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul spoke about uh, the third heaven. And he witnessed the third heaven. Paul found himself, in fact, he says, I don't know if I was uh, awake, I don't know if it was a vision, I don't know if it was a dream, but Paul partook of the third heaven. And so he understood that. And remember, we shared last week, the atmosphere is what we see, as far as our eye can see as we walk outside. And then we have the universe. But yet the third atmosphere, or the third heaven, is where God dwells. And no man has reached that. And no man ever will until we come to the place of death and this body is transformed completely and we have a new body. Otherwise, we can't get into heaven. And so it's a beautiful picture when you begin to see that. And so we see the creation of God and we see the beginning of the animal life, of the insect life, the birds and the fish and the plant life the seeds, the fruit. And then finally, we studied last week, God made man, and from man he made a woman. And now we come to Genesis chapter 3. We witness the first disobedience that leads to the first sin. Adam and Eve fell to their temptation. And then in Genesis chapter 4, we will witness the first murder. Cain kills his brother Abel. Now when we speak of the first sin, that man fell. When we see the Hebrew word for sin, it means falling away from the right path. That's sin. But I think the Greek gives us a better insight. The Greek word armathia, and it was for the word sin. And it means to miss the mark. Now, when you would be in the Greek days, I want you to think of the Greek games, And they would shoot their archery, the arrows. And when they would miss the target completely, they would say, Armathia. And that meant you sinned. You missed the mark. You missed totally. You weren't even close to the bullseye. And that's us. When we sin, we miss the mark. And then the enemy just starts to drag us down. But I want you to see tonight the importance of confessing that sin. I think what happens is sin takes place in our life and then embarrassment is part of it and then frustration is another part of it. Everybody knows and yet God wants us to confess the sin. And the enemy says, God's not going to believe you this time. God's not going to forgive you this time. And I mean, there's all kinds of scenario because I've heard them all in counseling sessions and then even myself. I'm a sinner just like you. But we need to learn to confess that sin. And so let's begin here. Genesis chapter 3, the temptation and the fall of man. 
Now, I want you to write this down as a reference. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. You can study that later. And so we begin in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, we see the word serpent here. The Hebrew uh, speaks of a snake or a dragon. And the reason being, because snakes are not considered beasts of the field. They're reptiles. But notice that the serpent is upright. He is not cursed yet. He is a beautiful creation of God. Moses describes the serpent as cunning. I want you to look at the Hebrew word for cunning. The King James uses the word that uh, he's subtle. Now, if you were here when we studied uh, concerning spiritual warfare, we covered this. But the Hebrew word for cunning is the King James subtle. It means that he's crafty, he's clever, he was and still is the trickster. Now, we covered all that in the spiritual warfare series. We did this on Wednesday nights. If you don't, if you didn't get the studies, I want you to get the studies because we looked in it. But Satan, and I want you to remember this, he does not play fair. There are no timeouts. There's no out of bounds. Uh, there's no rules or regulations. He is in a search and destroy mission, and you are his target. And notice that the serpent's first ploy towards the woman, and I want you to pay attention to this. This is not downgrading a woman. But he goes after the weaker sex because the order of creation. God made the man first. He attacks the word of God. He said to Eve, has God indeed said, and you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He will play with God's word. He will give you a half truth and a half lie. He will give you just enough to confuse you. And that's why we need to know the word of God. And then before we know it, we take the bait. Now notice the next verse. And the woman said to the serpent, he says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. And so the woman, Eve, responds. Not quite exactly what God said. Turn back real quick, Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Verse 17, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Speaking about spiritual death. But you see, the enemy comes in. No, it's okay. That's not what God said. That's why we need to know the Word of God. Because the enemy is subtle. And again, church, I have to remind you, he does not play fair. You see, we have this mentality that, you know, he has to abide by some rules. There is no rules. We play a game, whatever it might be. We have rules and regulations. Even when we were playing sandlot ball, we would go out there and make makeshift lines. This is out of bounds. The enemy doesn't do that. There is no out of bounds for him. And, oh, well, you can't use that. You used it last time on me. He'll use anything. I have seen it, even in my own life. How many Christians today are committing, listen to this, fornication, adultery, sexual sin, because they interpret the Bible their way? And I've heard this so many times. But I love him, or I love her, 
or the response, they love me, so we're in love, so we can, you know, have sexual relationship. That's not what the scriptures say. Or what's the new one today? The new one today is lesbianism and homosexuality. Well, this is the way God made me. I have more female hormones or I have more male hormones. You have these women that want to become men. You have these men that want to become women. And it's an abomination unto the Lord. Wait till we get to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that's not politically correct today, Pastor Bob. And we have denominational ministries that are ordaining lesbians and homosexuals. Well, you know, we're in the 21st century. That person was born that way. That is not the excuse to do it. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. And the time could come because our messages go on the radio eventually. The time could come that they literally will shut me off for that. They could easily shut off the ministry for that. That time is coming. That freedom of speech. I mean, look at, uh, we're having National Day of Prayer tomorrow. Franklin Graham was asked not to go and have prayer at the Pentagon. What's that about? We have always had prayer at our government institutions. But it's not politically correct. We don't want to step on certain toes. Is this a God-fearing nation? We're going, getting a long ways from that, church, when our country was based upon the Word of God. And so the enemy is subtle. I want you to write this down. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is not one righteous, no, not one. Now, Paul takes that, and I want you to write this down from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Paul would always go back to the Word of God, and that's where we should go. Not to the commentaries, and I love commentaries. Our greatest commentary is the Word of God. We should not go to where, well, you know, I think it means this. Be careful with that. We have our opinions. But what does God's word have to say? Important that we see this. Look at verse 3. We're going to continue now. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. What is God desiring here? God is desiring obedience. Listen, I, I teach this. And I know it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But in my opinion, and I'm going to give you my opinion, I don't think it has anything to do with the tree. But it has everything to do with obedience. God desires obedience. Don't be listening to people when they say, well, this is the 21st century. Change has come. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of so-called Christians that are going to stand before the throne room of God and they're going to be very surprised because they rejected God's word. Well, you know, I had a lot of interpretations and I had a lot of people telling me, well, what does the word of God have to say? I don't care what people are telling me. What does the word of God have to say? And so the enemy, again, remember, he's subtle. Look at verse 5. He continues now, verse, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Talking about a physical death. And so he's given her a half-truth. 
Oh, she's going to die spiritually. Adam's going to die spiritually. But you're surely not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, look at verse 5, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Doesn't that sound like the cults today? That's the whole push of the cults. You can be a God. Be careful with that. You're like you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so here lies the key to the, all the cults. You're going to be like God. Satan says that God does not want you to know good and evil. God's desire is to shield us, obviously, from good and evil. But he said not to have anything to do with that tree because he wanted obedience. He wanted obedience. So when the woman, look at verse 6 now saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and desirable. Now, this word desirable, it really got a hold of me in the Hebrew, because a lot of times we just read something, and we understand the word desirable, but the Hebrew is saying, a longing after, a delight after. And all I can tell you, Christians, that this particular fruit, and I thank God that we don't know which fruit, don't buy into that they said it was an apple. That was something that was taught way back, and it has stuck. You talk to most people, and they, what fruit did they eat? It was an apple. How do you know? doesn't say an apple. But I tell you what, whatever fruit it was, it was beautiful. It was shiny. I believe it had a smell. Uh, it was appetizing. She wanted it. And the more she looked at it, the more she was drawn to it. But God said no. Now, again, what part don't we understand when the word is no? <laughs> I tell you, uh, I, I like an old preacher that said, in the Greek, the word no means no. Like it's going to mean something else. Maybe. That's what we look for. Now, watch this. How many times the eye gate gets us into trouble? We see it. It appeals, and then we partake. There's two keys. We will see it, and this is what Eve did. She was deceived. And then secondly, Adam willfully sinned. Edom was, Edom, uh, excuse me, Eve was led by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I want you to turn to the, you have to know this passage. Go to the epistle of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The caption in my Bible says, do not love the world. This is John the Beloved. And John speaks about love in his gospel and his epistles. But this is so precious. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to the exact th thing that Moses was writing, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. So John's writing the same thing that took place with Adam and Eve. They saw it. And, you know, our eye sees it. And then, you know, the smell takes in. And then, you know, just the appeal, everything. I'm telling you, every day she saw that. How long was the period of time? We don't know. But the more she looked at it, and then the more the enemy talked to her. Verse 17, John finishes, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. 
Now, on your own, there's some cross-reference here, some homework. I don't have time this morning or this evening. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Paul tells the church at Galatia, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I always think of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, uh, when Potiphar's wife, remember, she got rid of all the servants. I mean, she set Joseph up. And she said, Joseph, lie with me. And he said, no. She grabbed his garment. Remember that? The Bible says that he turned and he ran naked. And what did he get out of that? And this is always amazing to me in Genesis 39, because I believe Potiphar knew his wife. Because Joseph should have been killed. But he was put into the dungeon, and God had a plan there too. He wasn't killed. For doing the right thing, he was punished. And sometimes those things happen. And so, look at verse 7. Let's get back to our text now. And the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And they made themselves coverings. Previously, they didn't care that they were naked. Now, they're husband and wife, but this is something new to them. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this thing about nakedness. Let's cover ourselves. Who told them to cover themselves? And if you've ever heard Gail Irwin's rendition of fig leaves, why did they go to fig leaves? That is the most itchy of all leaves. And, you know, we're not going to go there. But I'll just leave you with that. <laughs> but they were trying to cover sin. And that's us, whatever it might be. We're going to try to cover that sin. Or we're going to try to, listen to this word, justify it. We're good at that. I, I, I take a stand. When the Holy Spirit convicts you and you've done it, confess. Take care of business right then and there. If not, the enemy's going to just suck you in further and further. Now, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Notice the capitalization on the word Lord. When you see that, it is Almighty God. It's not the Lord title, but this is God himself. The Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said to him, Where are you? Now, gentlemen, see this tonight. It was Eve that partook of the fruit, and then her husband followed suit. But God went after the prophet, priest, king of the home, the responsible leader of the household. Again, we go back, you know, the woman is to be in submission to her own husband as unto the Lord. And that's because of creation. God created the man, and yes, the weaker sex is the woman. But here's where Eve sinned first. God went to Adam. God went to Adam. I love that. And let's continue. Watch what takes place here. And so God said, Adam, where are you? This happens to us when we sin. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us. Listen to what Pastor Chuck, he, he wrote such wisdom here. This is the cry of a heartbroken father. God knew they were the victims of their choices. They chose death 
and darkness. And yet God wants to give us life. He brings us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Study John chapter 1, the gospel. And he speaks about that light. We're darkness. And man, the light of Christ. And remember what Jesus said? I am the light of the world. And then when he's going to die and eventually ascend into heaven, he responds and he says, now you, the church, the body of Christ, are the light of the world. And we're not to hide that light. And I'll tell you what, people should see your light and should be attracted by the light and should want what you have. It's important. Verse 10 goes on. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. Fear sets in because of conviction. Write this verse down. You see, fear is not of God. Fear is of the enemy. Now, the fear of the Lord is a different concept. That's the reverence of God. But in 1 John 4.18, it says, Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is not of God. Fear is of the devil. God desires to set us free. I tell you, there's a lot of things. I want you to think back before you came to Saving Grace. We had a lot of little phobias. We had a fear of this. We had a fear of that. And I mean... I didn't fly too much in those days, but there was a few times we flew somewhere, and I got to tell you, man, I'm in that plane shaking in my boots, trying to look cool. And what do you do before you get in the plane when you were your BC days? You'd have a couple of, uh, you know, shooters before you went in there so you could feel no pain. But like it or not, when that plane rumbles down that, you know, runway, you're thinking, what are you thinking of? Death. Death. And you know you're going to go to hell if you die. And man, you go, Lord, don't let the plane go down this time. Wait till another time, Lord, another time. Fear sets in. The enemy's good at bringing fear into our lives. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Look at verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? God is trying to get confession out of him. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? How many times we've shared this? In my Schofield Bible, I learned it years ago, the caption of Psalm 139, it's the all-seeing eye of God. God sees all things. And so God is responding here. He's coming to Adam. He's coming to Eve. And he's looking for confession. And in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. In Romans 10, 9, 13, chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, that whole concept there. And Paul tells the church at Rome, confess your sins, listen, with your mouth and believe in your heart. And I tell you, we feel so much better at it. The enemy wants to keep you down. The enemy wants to keep you in that sin nature. The enemy wants to keep you in that unconfessed sin. And what happens is we respond. God's not going to forgive me. I've done this before. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. You confess it. Let God take care of it. But the enemy wants to keep us there. Verse 12, he goes on. 
Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I ate it. Men, I want you to pay attention. Don't be pointing at nobody. Pay attention because I'm one of you. I know the answer. I know the response. You see, we never take the responsibility. It's not me. It's the woman you gave me. Well, Eve did partake of the fruit. But because the husband, because the man is the prophet, priest, and king of the home, he's responsible. He's responsible as the prophet, priest, king of the home. Now, we might not do it just with a wife, but we're so quick. Lord, I sinned right now. I cussed that guy out because he cut me off. Yeah, you, he cut you off, but you're the one that sinned. Lord, did you see that? He gave me the birdie. And so then we cuss him out again. Am I the only one? Oh, you got it. If you've been in L.A., you get all this. Lord, they pulled a gun on me. They were doing it there for a while. But we want to blame everything instead of, Lord, I have sinned. Lord, I have sinned. Adam should have said, Lord, I partook of the fruit. Lord, forgive us. And so there has to be that place. And the Lord God, verse 13, said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Now he goes to Eve. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. I like that Adam. He's blaming his wife. And then Eve, that serpent. When do we take the blame? When do we say, I did it? You see, God deals with the issue of sin. Deception so beautifully. And I say it beautifully because it does. It just creeps in. Again, we don't have time. We've studied it many times over. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warns it in the last day four times. You're going to be deceived. 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 And then he even responds, even the very elect are going to be deceived. That's why we study the word of God. That's why we need to know the word of God. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, now, God goes after the serpent. That's Satan. Remember, he's upright. He's standing up. And ladies, uh, I, I'm going to share this. I, I believe serpent was beautiful. He's a creation of God. The woman dialogued with the serpent over and over. He wasn't cursed and slithering on the floor yet. But the curse is coming. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, or on your belly, you shall go and you shall... Eat dust all the days of your life. And I have to ask this. We're talking about a long time of span now. From Genesis chapter 1 to now. We're, we're close, listen, to about 6,000 years. And the span is about 7,000 years. There's a seven years of tribulation that has to take place. And before that, I believe the rapture of the church has to take place. And then Jesus will return and there's one more thousand year and that's the called the millennium. And so that sets up the 7,000. That's one of the reasons I believe in a young earth. What happened between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2? Is, is there a gap there? I believe there is. How much time? Is it millions? 
Is it billions? Is it hundreds? Is it fifties? I don't know. I believe we're living in a young earth. There are those that don't, and that's okay. And I'm talking about creationists. Now, don't even talk about the evolutionists, because as you go on and you keep going to school, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Chuck said it. When I was a kid, it was millions. And now that I'm an old guy, it's billions. And he goes, I know I'm old, but not that old. It keeps changing. And they're all theories. They're all theories. Now, he is cursed. And then he slithers for the rest of his life. Let me ask you a question. Is the snake, is the serpent still around today? Yes. There are a lot of animals that have gone extinct. But the serpent is still here. Man, I'll tell you what, and especially in our Southwest, we, we've had, you know, the carcass of, a, of the snakes up at our house, and it freaks you out. We got more scorpions and centipedes than we do snakes, and I don't know which one's the worst. But look at verse 15. And I will put enmity. Now, we shared when man sinned, God had already made a provision. It's right here, church. It's right here. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God's provision already. God knew, obviously, because he's the all-knowing God, that they would sin. So here's the first promise. Listen, the first promise, Genesis 3.15, the first promise of Messiah to come. And still 4,000 years away, Jesus, the seed, the woman, which is Mary, Jesus destroyed the head or the authority and the power of Satan by his, Jesus, redemption, death on the cross 2,000 years ago. This is the second tree, listen, that God gives for redemption. The first was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now the second tree of redemption, which Jesus, the seed, died on to give us life eternal. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we are given the opportunity to leave darkness and to enter into his light. What a beautiful concept. What a beautiful concept. I wrote this down, and I want you to check on it. Uh, 7,000 years span, Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 12, 2,000 years. From Abraham, which is Genesis 12, to Matthew plus 400 years of silence after Malachi is another 2,000 years. Okay, so that's 4,000. And then Matthew to Revelation is the conclusion of 2,000 more. That's 6,000 years. And then the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Beautiful. Again, that's the 7,000-year span. Again, you don't have to agree with me. doesn't matter. This is what I see in the Scriptures. Look at verse 16. To the woman he said... And here's part of the curse. Ladies, you know this very well. If you've had children, one of my aunts, she's still alive. She's in her 80s. She had 12. Wow. They didn't have a TV in those days. In verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be for your husband. That's the second curse. You're going to be in submission to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so part of the curse, ladies, again, if you've had children, pain through childbirth. But secondly, and this is part of the curse, the woman is to be in submission to her own husband 
as unto the Lord. Now pay attention because I know husbands and they are so quick. Did you read it? Did you hear the preacher? You are to be in submission to me. Well, listen to this verse, okay? I want you to study Ephesians chapter 5. And it starts at verse 21, not verse 22. And then it goes all the way down. And you take it, I think it's verse 25, but just follow that. But in verse 22, this is the one everybody reads. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Period. And a lot of times the husband doesn't want to hear anything else. But we need to read verse 21. This is why I love to read context. I don't just like to pull out a scripture. I don't like to do the shotgun effect. I'm afraid I'm going to read that. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then I turn to Judas Iscariot's famous verse, and he went out and hung himself. Be careful. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The Bible says that the wife is to be in submission to her own husband as unto the Lord. But if that husband is not godly, that husband is asking you to do things that are not scriptural, if that husband is asking you to sin, you have to stand up and say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. That husband says, you can't go to church no more, something's wrong. Very important that we study the scriptures. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded, listen to this, the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, say, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it, and all the days of your life. Now, I have listened to my wife for many, many years, and she's given me good wisdom. But if she ever ask me to sin, I have to make a stand. No. If you're asked to sin, you have to make a stand. No. And so it's our choice there. It's our choice. And be careful because the ramifications, you to be in submission. Well, let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at the scriptures. But now he goes on further. And the curse is you're going to work. You're going to toil the land. Now we're talking about in the days of the New Testament or the Old Testament, and it was farming. And we know even today, farming is hard. But let's bring it up to our time and our understanding. Guys, we know this. There was a time, a period of about 10 years, where I worked 10 hours a day, 8 hours, or 6 hours on Saturday. That was our schedule. And we worked, and I'll tell you what, you came home tired, and we came home dirty and sweaty. It's part of the curse. I have to take care of my kids. I have to take care of my household. I've got bills to pay. And honestly, in those days when we were young and eager and ready to work, we looked for the days, you know, the businesses that gave you the overtime. That's where you made your money. And so I was accustomed to that. But it's part of the curse. You've got today uh, farmers, and uh, let's just mention them all, basically. Uh, You have everything that is done today, and people basically, let me see if I wrote it down here. 
Yep, let's go one more over. Verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the herb of the field. So the farmers know this, exactly these verses. But I, I put this down. What about firemen? I'll tell you, when the fires come, then firemen, and there's women that are firemen too, they earn their pay. Policemen, carpenters, plumbers, electricians, construction. What about teachers, businessmen? Uh, this includes women when they work out of the home also. It's all part of the curse. You know, nobody gets up in the morning, oh, man, I can't wait to get to work. Now, there's a certain extent that you want to go to work because you got to make money. you got to sustain the family. But I tell you what, you get older and you got, you know, 20 years under your belt, 30 years under your belt. It's not as easy as getting up. I thank God I don't have to work uh, 10 and 12 hours a day like we used to. And yet sometimes in the ministry, we're called out late at night and things of that nature. And so it's all part of the curse. Verse 19, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And I like this, for out of it you were taken. From dust you are and dust you shall return. We shared last week, basically we're about 17 elements of, of dust and particles, whatever else part of our, you have to go to the sciences on that. But look at verse 20 now. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve in the Hebrew is Hava, and it, it means life giver. The mother of all living. It all started with Eve. And Adam is Adan in the Hebrew, and his name means earth, red earth or red ground. And through Adam and Eve comes mankind. Also, for Adam and his wife, verse 21, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Now all this time, <laughs> they've been running around with fig leaves. Come on, Adam. Should have picked something a little softer, man. <laughs> but now, I want you to write this down. Here is the first animal sacrifice. The first animal sacrifice. God killed the first animal sacrifice. In Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There has to be blood. And then we're going to follow that through. When we get into the book of Exodus, we get into the book of Leviticus, and then when you go to the book of Hebrews, and we've studied that already, the book of Hebrews, the complete sacrifice, is Christ, the complete Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No more bloodshed. It's done. No more high priest. Jesus is the high priest. And yet today, the Jews are waiting for their new temple. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Excuse me. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. God has to kick them out of the garden. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Disobedience. And now the consequences of disobedience. Sin. 
consequences of sin was the curse. And the only way to remove that curse is by the blood of the precious lamb. So he drove out the man and he placed a cher cherubims at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way uh, to the tree of life. These are angels of protection that God has placed there. These cherubims who keep men out, God drove them out. You know, when I read that years ago, it hurts the heart when you think about it because God created it for man. It was beautiful. Remember last week, every time we read about God's creation, it was good. It was good. It was good over and over and over. The Garden of Eden, it was good. It was great. I mean, think about the tranquility there, the peace. Think about the weather conditions. Think about the nakedness, and it didn't faze them. They had it made. But they had a free will to choose, as we have a free will to choose. He drove man out of the garden. Sad commentary. Man has not returned to that garden. And yet, Saddam Hussein was trying to build back the Garden of Eden. We, don't, we mentioned last week the geographical uh, picture because maybe the separation of the continents uh, it could have happened after the flood. And where is the Garden of Eden? We have some ideas. The rivers have changed. Everything's changed, and I thank God that we don't know where it's at. The same thing with, you know, when we get to Noah's Ark. Oh, it's up there in Mount Ararat, and we got to go get it down. I hope and pray that uh, the Turkish government never lets them get it down because then we turn that thing into an idol. And I mean, man is just same thing with the, uh, what's that, the Shroud of Turan. Now, let's go to Genesis 4. So we've been seeing in Genesis the beginning we see the beginning of sin, and now the first murder. Now, it's interesting that Cain is mentioned, because there are people that will say, well, you know, how do we know? Well, Luke chapter 11, verse 51. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And, and so we see this. It speaks about Cain, speaks about Abel. And so let's go, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore uh, Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And so here, when we see this in the Old Testament, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and that speaks of sexually, and their first son was Cain. Uh, Cain's name in the Hebrew means spear. It also means smith, and it would speak about the iron. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Two different professions. And I have to mention this before we go any further. Well, God accepted Abel because he was a herdsman. And he rejected Cain because he was just a farmer. He didn't, you know, offer meat. He offered vegetables, fruit, nuts. Please. Don't go with that concept. Because God does not look at what you're offering. He looks at the heart of what you're offering. And so Cain's offering was not of the Lord. 
Cain's offering was of Cain, but Abel's offerings were of the Lord. He gave the first fruits to God. Don't ever hold back from giving to God. Verse 3, uh, Abel's name means uh, breath and vapor. And verse 3, in the process of time. Now, in the Hebrew, what does that consist of? In the process of time. We only have a handful of children that Moses writes of concerning Adam and Eve. But we know that they had to have had a lot of children. And so the process of time, how many centuries? Because we know they lived up into their eight and nine hundreds. It says, and in the process of time, it came to pass that came, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Cain was a farmer by trade, a tiller of the ground. Then it says in verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected. I want you to see that. Abel and his offering. Abel was this herdsman. He raised the flocks of sheep. But don't think because it was, you know, the herds, the meat, the sheep. And God accepted it, but he rejected Cain because he just brought the farmer stuff. Not so. Then it says, he respected. He respected. Let me get that word respect right now in verse 5. And he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. The word respect in the Hebrew, God was not pleased with the offering. No compassion is another translation towards Cain's and his offering. Now, a good way to understand this is to go back to the book of Acts chapter 5 and see how Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. We sold the piece of property for this much and we're going to give God this much. You see, God is not concerned of what you give. God is concerned of what you give that it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. Listen, the widow's mites, what did she give? Those mites were not worth anything. But she gave her the abundance of her heart. Now I tell you, I love somebody that will give you $2 a week, but it comes from the heart. Then somebody that gives 200 and they do it grudgingly. Might as well keep it. Always give God your first. And if you can't afford to give all of this or all of that, you know, that's between you and God. We're not pressured. And if you've been here at Calvary long enough, we don't, you know, we don't put out tithe envelopes and, and you have to, you know, you got 52 of those and they better be registered because some churches do that. I could care less what you give. But the Bible says we must give to the Lord as he's given us. We should give to the Lord. And here's a beautiful example. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? It's obvious as we read the text. He's angry. He's upset. He's mad. And, you know, but what about my brother? You accepted his. But God's dealing with Cain. Listen, this anger was deep because Cain couldn't let it go. How deep was it? Killed his brother over it. 
In verse 7, if you do well, you are uh, not, you will not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, I looked at this, and I went to the Living Translation. I went to the Amplified Translation, but the NIV said it's so beautiful. Verse 7, if you do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. You see, Cain's offering was not right. His heart was wrong. His motive was wrong. We will see he did not give his first fruit. Sin was crouching at the door and it took over. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. All because of anger? You see, anger is the beginning. And then it stirs. And then it gets heavier. And before you know it, you got to act out that anger. You have to be very careful with it. And so, anger. And verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Again, God's looking for confession. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother, his blood cries out to me from the ground. Uh, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you chill the ground, it shall no longer yield its, its strength to you. A fugitive, this was part of his curse. Now, his curse was harder than what Adam and Eve had already. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be to the earth. You will wander, that's the translation in the Hebrew, and the people are going to have pity on you, and you're going to see why they had pity on him. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. What about your brother? <laughs> what about your brother? You're complaining the punishment is too, it's too hard for me. What about your brother? You killed him. You killed him. You murdered your brother Abel. And he is bearing now the death. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive, a vagabond in the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Can you see Cain's heart? He is shunning the fact that he has killed his own brother. God, I'm not going to be able to see you no more. You're going to have nothing to do with me. And then by the way, people are going to see me. They're going to want to kill me. All Cain could think of was self. All he could think of is self. And that's so many times. Again, go back to Adam and Eve. The woman that you gave me. When you try to pass the buck. And the Lord said, look at verse 15 to him. Therefore, whosoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain. Lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, if you read commentaries, and you listen to preachers, Bible teachers, 
Everybody wants to know what this mark is. I don't know. There are so many different theories. Somebody said that when Cain came around, he shook. He had fits. I don't know. When he, came, he had a big old mark on his head, and it said Cain, and then underneath that, don't kill him or I'll kill you. Where does that, where does that come from? You see, everybody, you know, has their theory, but there was something there. That's the portion where they had pity on him. And I, I can honestly say that when Cain came into the picture, they treated him, listen, like a leper. Oh, stay away from that boy. I mean, Adam and Eve were cursed, but this guy, I heard about him. He killed his brother, man. God has cursed him and have followed him the rest of his life. Now, we read the conclusion here. The family of Cain, and bear with me. There's a lot of Hispanic names in here, and they're really hard for me. Then Cain went out, they're Hebrew names, I just like to tease, uh, the family of Cain. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. Now it's interesting, uh, we don't know exactly know where this land of Nod is, but the word Nod in the Hebrew, it means wandering. Where does Cain live? I don't know, man, but I heard they made a new uh, township, and it's called Wandering. That's where he lives. <laughs> The land of wandering. And there's no way to locate this. It says east of Eden. Well, if you can find Eden, maybe then you can. But here's the key. He is away from the presence of God. Isaiah said, what has separated you from you and your God? Sin. Sin separates us. They say, that the greatest punishment in hell is not the fire. It's not the gnashing of teeth. It's not the memory that we read in Luke chapter 16. But the greatest punishment is hell is eternal separation from God. Wow. Eternal separation from God. Radical statement. Uh, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, Enoch's a good guy. We're going to read about him. Enoch, in Genesis 5.24, walked with God, and God took him. Enoch is a type of the rapture of the church. We'll deal with that more next week. In verse 18, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehujel, and Mehujel begot Mahuthael, and Mahuthael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives, and the name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and his father uh, of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as far as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain in the, as an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was uh, Nama, and then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zella, hear my voice, wives uh, of Lamech. He says, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech uh, seventy-sevenfold, heavy. 
And so then a new son. And Adam knew his wife. Again, we don't, you know, there's a whole many other children they had. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and his name was Seth. For God has appointed another seat for me instead of uh, Abel, whom Cain killed. And as far as Seth, to him also uh, a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the Lord. I like that. And I, I put this in my notes to conclude. God always has a remnant of his people. God always has a remnant, even though sin enters. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was evil, and yet Lot was there with his family. And, and Lot was not the greatest representation of a believer, but God spared him. We're going to deal with so much more. Let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, as we gather in your precious name, Lord, there is so much that we're going to draw from in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis. As we see the beginnings and we see these things that are still part of our lives, God, teach us, Lord. Teach us that sin nature that was uh, in Eve, that sin nature that was in Adam. And Lord, that sin nature is still in us. Lord, we are born with Adamic sin. And the only way uh, to remove that Adamic sin, it's not uh, through water baptism, but we must come to the cross. And again, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we know, as John the Baptist saw Jesus coming into the Jordan Valley, he said the prophecy, one crying in the wilderness, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Oh, how we desperately need the precious blood of the Lamb. Father, bless our people here tonight. Bless the youth. Uh, bless our children's church. Lord, I know there's a lot of people going to be traveling. Uh, this weekend is it's heavy because of the graduations and such. And Lord, bless the graduates. This is a tough time in our country, the economy. Lord, tomorrow, National Day of Prayer, let us stand up and pray. Well, the time is still here that we can. And they'll never take it away, but uh, to have public prayer, that could diminish one day completely. Father, have your hand upon this ministry. Teach us your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.